It's great to see you. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we lead this church. If you're new here or you're visiting, you're very welcome. Do go and see the guys over at the welcome team. They'd love to, they'd love to connect you with the church and what's going on here. We'll just carry on around these guys. That's all right. No, that's good. That's what we're about. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And in the text that we're going to look at, um, we're, we see Jesus, and it's just literally days before uh, the most challenging, most difficult time of his life. And he's facing the brutality and the anguish and the pain that... Uh, lies ahead of him uh, um, with his death on the cross. And what he's done is Jesus has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a garden just outside Jerusalem. And he's gone with some of his closest friends to pray. Let's have a look at Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, of course. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? Then he asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your presence here this morning. Will you come and have your way with us? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Open our minds, open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. You're a good, good Father. You have good gifts for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. As Kate uh, said a couple of weeks ago, you know, aside from all the political and social upheaval we're all facing, aside from all of the uncertainty and probable insecurity that may lie ahead, many of us are facing challenges. Some of us are facing big challenges this year. Some of us will face big challenges this year, and they may not be on the same scale that Jesus is facing, but... Some of us are or will face significant challenges in our health or in the health of loved ones, challenges in our families and our family circumstances, maybe with our parents who may be aging and in poor health, maybe with our children, you know, as they sort of work out how it is they fit in a culture and a society with values that we as their parents no longer uh, either recognize or understand. Um, some of us may face challenges in our relationships. You know, we're alongside all of the blessing and the joy. There may be pain and conflict. Uh, maybe we are going to face the challenge 
of just trying to work out what it is that God is calling us to. What is it? What is God's call on our lives? You know, um, uh, where would God have us live or work? Uh, will we or should we get married or not? Should we uh, carry on going out with this guy or with this girl or not? Um, how do we even do this thing called Christianity? And these challenges are very real. And if you're in the midst of any or all of them, um, let me start by saying, first of all, they're very normal. Like, it's really, really normal. It's kind of called um, life. Uh, But they are very tiring. In fact, they're absolutely and utterly exhausting. As I think uh, you know, towards the end of last year, Kate and I found ourselves... What, it, what felt at times like um, neck deep in uh, challenges. You know, and it, it, it took every last bit of our strength just to keep on keeping on. You know, that sense of just treading water and um, going through what uh, were for us, at least, you know, a number of not insignificant challenges. Um, firstly brought us to our knees in prayer as we cried out to God and went, oh God, oh God, oh God, uh, was about all we could muster. Uh, secondly, it took us to the scriptures, and the scriptures are amazing because um, we took great comfort in the, the men and women of faith who had walked in our shoes and gone before us. And so um, how are we going to deal with life's difficulties when they come our way? How are we to handle ourselves when life gets overwhelming and hard? How are we to deal with the problem of pain? How are we to deal with all of the emotions and the feelings that come with the challenges and the difficulties that we face? You know, all of the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the anger and the confusion, all of it. What do we do with it all? Thankfully, there's a whole lot of wisdom in this book, uh, the Bible, and uh, there are some things here um, in these verses from Matthew from the life of Jesus that I think may help us. Uh, Let's kick this off um, at verse 38. Then Jesus said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So somewhere in this deep, visceral part of his being, Jesus is suffering. He is troubled. Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow. And here, Jesus is feeling all of the intensity of everything that is to come. And he's feeling it in his heart and his body and his mind and he's feeling it in his emotions. He's feeling it all. And to be human is to feel. And Jesus, fully divine and fully human, experiences the full range of human emotion, good and bad. And as human beings, we experience all kinds of emotions and feelings, some that are good, uh, some that are bad, uh, to be slightly more accurate, some that are positive, you know, that we enjoy, things like love and joy and peace and excitement and anticipation and on and on and on. But then there's this whole set of things that are negative, negative emotions, negative feelings. And we just really don't like those things at all. Feelings like anxiety and fear and discouragement and grief and sorrow and disappointment and insecurity and rage and all these things. Now, for the most part, uh, we all know what to do with the good stuff. You know, we do everything that we possibly can to make those feelings, to make those emotions last as long as we possibly can. Um, but a whole lot of us, and I very much count myself in here, we have no clue whatsoever about what to do with the other stuff, with some of the more um, negative and difficult expressions of 
pain. And if we're being honest, all of us are carrying some degree of emotional pain, some level of hurt that we're not entirely sure what we're supposed to do with it. Some of us have a lorry load of it, some of us have a suitcase. Um, but we all have it. And, and many of us just have no idea what we're supposed to do with it. Maybe you're heartbroken from a, a relationship that fell apart. Maybe you're heartbroken from a relationship that, where you got spectacularly hurt. Uh, maybe you've experienced the loss of a loved one. It's just, what was that about? Maybe you just wake up in the morning and you're just disappointed with how life is turning out. And you're feeling all of this stuff, and a lot of it really doesn't feel great, but you just don't know what you're supposed to do with it all. And to make things worse, we find ourselves immersed in a culture that rather than training us and teaching us and equipping us on how to deal with any of it, the culture in which we find ourselves seems determined to run away from any and every kind of emotional pain. So what do we do when the proverbial hits the fan? Was the other possible title for this talk. You know, what do you do? What do I do? Because I think there's a range of ways that we try to deal with pain and the pain that comes our way. Uh, some of us, in our attempt to avoid any kind of pain, that we do all that we can to just shut down from everything. We, we detach. We just shut down. We kind of work on the premise that if we feel nothing, then we can't get hurt. Right? So uh, we shut down, we detach, we let go, feel nothing, uh, and you'll feel no pain. There'll be no joy, but there'll be no pain. And the sacrifice of no joy is great because I, I just can't cope with the prospect of the pain. Uh, others of us uh, know all too well that you know, bad things happen, even to good people. And we've experienced uh, firsthand that suffering is real and that there's nothing we can do about it. And so what we do is we find ourselves doing everything within our power just to escape it. And so we distract ourselves as much as we possibly can. We find comfort in that second uh, glass, the third, fourth glass bottle of wine. Um, we lose ourselves in our work. We shop till we drop. We uh, dabble with any narcotic that we can lay our hands on just to take us out of where we are to what feels at least for a little while uh, like a better place. Or we try to lose ourselves binging on sex, whether actual or virtual, um, or binging on food. Or we waste our days scanning social media or watching yet another awesome box set on Netflix. And, and all of it's just designed to take us away from our pain, even just for a moment. And all of it is designed to distract us. All of it is designed to numb us. That's the objective. We just want to numb ourselves, we want to feel nothing, I just want to check out for a while, I just want to escape, I just want to get away, anything to get away from the pain I'm in. And then there's others of us, and sadly this applies especially to um, a lot of Christians in the church. And uh, what we tend to do or try to do is we just like deny it all, um, and we just like pretend it's not there. I see no pain. 
For us, what we do when we're right up against it, when we're facing challenge and difficulty and pain, is that we try and squash it all down in some vain attempt to deny it all. We put on our bravest and our best Christian faces and facades, and we smile through the pain with a not-too-heartfelt, you know, it could be worse. You know, praise the Lord, I'm just trusting, you know, I'm keeping the faith. Uh, It's all good. Maybe we kind of feel like we should have prayed a bit harder and then it wouldn't have happened to us. Uh, Maybe if I'd fasted for a bit longer, this wouldn't be happening. Maybe if I'd actually finished Bible in a year, none of this rubbish would be happening in my life. Um, But what we tend to do, this is the most important thing that we do, is we tend as Christians to just say we need to get our emotions and sort them out. And we just need to tell our emotions to pull themselves together because Feelings and emotions are not to be trusted at all in any way, shape, or form to any degree. And so even though inside we're dying and we're literally on the edge of overwhelmed, we feel like we're supposed to fake it, suppress it, and pretend it's all okay. And to do anything else, um, certainly in a church context, would be lacking faith. It would be maybe even doubting, um, which we must never do under any circumstances. Uh, And it would be seriously letting Jesus down. And above all else, just culturally, it's decidedly un-British. It is just not the done thing. So we distract, we detach, we deny. And all of these things are about running away from our pain. Now, none of them are learning about how to deal with it. They're all about avoiding it as much as we possibly can. And each one of them is alive and well. And they are slowly but surely killing us all. My question to us this morning is, where are you at right now? Where do you tend to go? Uh, For me, when I'm hurting and in pain, uh, the first thing I do is I do everything I possibly can to distract myself. I have watched more mindless box sets on Netflix than can be good for anyone. I have many recommendations of what is vaguely good and even more recommendations of what is absolutely terrible. Um, Even when I'm not doing okay, I can pretty much tell that I'm not doing okay because I've worked out that I've watched all seven seasons of Game of Thrones again, back to back. Um, For me, when distraction doesn't work, what I tend to do is I tend to just detach and shut down. I retreat into my cave in the vain hope that this will all eventually pass. And it's really not very good. I'm not proud of it. It's really not healthy. Uh, Just ask Kate. She has a lot to put up with. Um, And then for me, just to complete the the set uh, with a dose of denial, when I come to church, in the midst of what for me might be a really challenging time, and one of you asks me how I'm doing, chances are I'll say something like, oh, fine, thanks. How are you? I know none of you do that, but um, I'm just confessing my sin. The reality is that um, many of us, we just don't know how to deal with the very hardships of life that we are experiencing on a regular basis. So we don't know what to do with pain and suffering. We don't know what to do with trauma and disappointment. We don't know what to do with rejection and bitterness and on and on and on. And whatever we don't know how to deal with, we tend to just run from, whether we detach ourselves, whether we distract ourselves, or whether we just try and deny it all and put it in a box, lock it away somewhere. In Jesus, we see a far better way. Let's have a look at Matthew 26 in a bit more detail. Verse 38. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, sorrowful here means that Jesus is in excruciating internal pain. 
This is excruciating suffering and pain. Troubled means that he's in this deep, deep anxiety. Jesus is like, he's upset, he's in pain. He is not doing well in this moment. It's like Jesus is basically saying the weight of the sorrow, the pain that I am in, it's crushing the life out of me. It's that intense. And Jesus is here, and he is just sitting right in the thick of all of his pain. And when you look at Jesus and the things that we just talked about, do you see how Jesus doesn't have kind of like some Zen Buddhist moment where he does some yoga pose and and detach from everything that's going on around him and sort of say, Yoda-like, ah, matter it not if I live or die. And Jesus doesn't just, you know, deny what's going on. You know, he doesn't just sit there and slap himself around the face and the guy and say, put yourself together, man, you know. Get your emotions in line, stiff up a lip, what ho, best foot forward. You know, um, praise the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. I think Paul's going to say that in a couple of years. At least he should. I hope he does. Nor does Jesus just sort of distract himself and, and say, oh, boys, seriously, this is just too intense. This is just too much. Like, let's go and find something else to do. Let's, let's go and hang out in some bars in Jerusalem. Let's get some pizza. I just want to eat, like, falafel or whatever. Let's have a few drinks and go to the cinema and watch a movie, because this is crazy. Jesus doesn't do any of those things. Jesus deals with his emotions and his feelings. Jesus goes to the place of his pain, and he sits in it. I mean, this is insane. He sits in it. He sits in all of the discomfort, all of the pain. He stays with all the intensity of everything he's feeling, all the fear and all of the anxiety, all the anguish of it all. Jesus goes right to the very heart of it and he stares it in the face. Why? Because Jesus is emotionally mature and Jesus is emotionally healthy. Now, the relevance of this to us is that many, if not all of us here, have given our lives to following Jesus, and a big part of what that means is that Jesus' life is now the template of how we are to live life. How Jesus does life is how we are called to live, and yet so often and very bizarrely in the church, um, we don't connect the dots between spiritual maturity and emotional maturity, and we've separated out what we think of spiritual maturity from emotional maturity, and so we kind of find ourselves very comfortable with the disconnect of prophesying here on a Sunday and then being angry and resentful and grouchy and not very nice human beings all week. Or we find ourselves serving the poor and then at the same time there's a whole bunch of people that we just can't and won't forgive. Or we're well on track with Bible in a year and at the same time any opportunity we have to be judgmental and critical and have a good old bitch about somebody, we will take. And some of us think uh, some of us, uh, some of the reason for that is because we think that Jesus came to teach us how to do the spiritual stuff, you know, um, heal the sick, pray, uh, hear from God, and, and that's, he did. I mean, all of that's right and beautiful and fitting and absolutely imperative. But a lot of the time we forget that Jesus also came to teach us how to do other things, like how to feel and how to love well and especially how to deal with pain. And the danger is that we separate out the spiritual from the secular. What, uh, what, for, what for Jesus, there was, there was just no distinction. 
And so we can end up very easily being people who love Jesus, uh, but um, who can also at the same time be very controlling and insecure. We can be people who love Jesus, but we're also um, really passive-aggressive. We can love Jesus, and yet we don't know how to stay in relationship with people and reconcile our differences. You see, discipleship to Jesus isn't just about the spiritual life, whatever that even means. It's about the Spirit of God, the active, dynamic presence of the living God who made everything seeping into and changing and rewiring and re-engineering and transforming every single fiber of our beings until we become more like Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to just teach us how to read our Bibles and pray, although he wants to teach us those things. Jesus wants to reteach us how to be human and how to do that well as it relates to our jobs and our sexuality and our finances and how we deal with conflict and how we deal with our family of origin and our relationships, everything. He wants to break through. The kingdom wants to break through into every area of our lives. Jesus wants to remake you into who you actually are and to call you into who God actually called you, all, called you to be all along and to become more like him in the process. Jesus was emotionally mature, emotionally healthy. Um, Now, just bear in mind that being emotionally healthy uh, doesn't mean to say that we're happy all the time, okay? Um, Which is encouraging. I just kind of want to be happy all the time. It doesn't mean that. Sometimes the emotionally mature response to a situation is sorrow. If you're not sure about the place of sorrow and lament, uh, read the Psalms. I think two-thirds of them are about lament and sorrow. Jesus' life, look at Jesus' life, it wasn't easy. But he wasn't emotionless, uh, nor was he like ever on this perennial, like, high. Praise the Lord. He just wasn't. But Jesus knew how to deal with all of his emotions, good and bad, and in particular he knew how to deal with pain. Right, that was the introduction. There's some things in this text, this isn't that long, don't worry, that might help us, okay, with this. Bear with me. Um, The first thing that Jesus does in this situation is he gives God his feelings. Have a look at verse 38. "My, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I mean, Jesus is, is like startlingly honest. He is totally real. It's all unedited. He just lets it all out. He just tells God how he feels. He's basically saying here, God, I am overwhelmed. I'm literally dying here. And strange as it may sound, this is actually the beginning place, the beginning point of prayer. Uh, Since the start of this year, I've been doing what the awesome Dan Plummer calls um, swimming in the Psalms, uh, and alongside my other Bible readings, and I've been reading 10 Psalms a day, uh, which is great until you get to Psalm 119, and then you regret it badly. But um, uh, it's fascinating, okay? Um, Because the Psalms, when you read them like that, I've been reading like one Psalm or one verse, but reading them back to back is a fascinating exercise because the Psalms are full, full of all kinds of emotion and all kinds of pain. David 
like crazy dude. Um, uh, but there's something incredible in there because they give us this framework. They've been so helpful for me in terms of giving me a framework on how to pray because it all comes tumbling out in the Psalms, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there is a lot of ugly in there, a lot. And the Psalms as expressions of worship, as prayers, which is what they are, these become safe places to bring what we're feeling, uh, all of the pain, all of the anguish, all of the heartache, all of the grief, it all comes tumbling out before God and into his presence. You know, when, whenever we worship, and when I say worship, I, I don't just mean like singing songs. I don't just mean standing here showing up and just singing a song. Whenever we really worship, whenever we pray, like really pray, not just like kind of rattle, like when we actually engage with prayer, one of the profoundest things that happen as we worship and as we pray is that we begin to see that we are actually completely and utterly naked in the presence of the living God. It's one of the most amazing, awesome things. You see it in Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah sees God, and then he sees himself in all of his nakedness. And Psalm 139 says, Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. That's pretty exposed. That's pretty Naked, And so as we stand in the presence of the one who sees us as we are, who knows what we're facing, who loves us totally and utterly, like we might as well get real with God. We might as well talk to him about what's going on. He kind of already knows. So the first thing is take off the fig leaf and get real with God. And all that Jesus does at the beginning of this prayer is he tells God how he feels. My soul is overwhelmed like to the point of death. I'm dying. And that's the beginning of prayer. And that's the beginning of how we deal with the problem of pain. Tell God how you feel. So first of all, Jesus gives God his feelings. The second thing is he gives God his desires. Um, verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. And now the cup here is this metaphor for um, his impending death on the cross. And Jesus is saying here, um, I, don't want to, I don't want to do it. Like, I don't, I don't want to do it. If there's another way, can, can we do that? Like, I don't want to go there. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is that he is inviting God into his desire for there to be another way. Now, you have to remember that the cross was kind of like Jesus' thing. It was like, it was like the reason that he was there in the first place. But you see, even though this is the most central thing for his mission... You can see the angst and the anguish and the turmoil that Jesus is in as he's struggling. And this is very, very real. We dismiss this sometimes and just think, oh, yeah, I mean, I mean it's Jesus. Of course it's fine. I just like willingly go off. This is very real wrestling and grappling with the pain. 
And he's struggling and he's wrestling between this desire on the one hand to be faithful to God's call on his life and his desire not to get brutally murdered at the same time. Who would want that and who can blame him? And so with all of this that he's got going on, he is sorrowful and troubled. And it makes perfect sense to us because our emotions are, and what we feel, they're the byproduct of our desires and the things that we want. You know, we all know this. So, so the things that we worry about, the things that we get sad over, the things that we get excited by, the things that, the, the things that we desire, the things that we want, the things that we don't want. I, I tend to feel great about all of the things that I want, and I tend to feel terrible about all the things that I don't want. I'm really great. I feel awesome about all the things I want to see happen, and I feel terrible about all the things I don't want to see happen. It's not rocket science. And the key in prayer, at least, is to bring to God all of our deepest desires, all of them, unedited, not just the good ones. You see, what I do, which is, again, another um, sign of my emotional immaturity, is that I tend to filter my desires to myself, and certainly to God. And so I've got all kinds of desires, okay? Good, bad, and sort of in between that I'm not entirely sure what they are. And all the desires that I know are good, right? Because, like, I know God likes those ones. Those ones I take to God, and confidently I say, oh, God, please take these things in my life, and please do these things in my life, because secretly I know they've got your stamp of approval, because you approve of them, and you're more likely to make those things happen. Amen. And then all of the stuff that I know is bad, it's like, oh God, like I desperately want to do something I really shouldn't do, like whatever it is, and I want to do it right now. Um, the desires that I have that I know are unhealthy, and those, I, I take those, and I, um, well, I actually have no idea what to do with those. Sometimes I repent of them. Mostly I just feel guilty about them. I feel pretty ashamed most of the time. And most of the time, I just try and suppress it all and hope that <laughs> that will go away miraculously. My desires will just disappear. All my unhealthy ones, they'll just evaporate. Um, which, by the way, just as a heads up, for those of you who are a little younger than me, which isn't many, but um, those of you who are younger, um, they don't. I'm sorry to say. Um, how you respond to those things, how you deal with those desires... That changes as you are transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. But a lot of those desires, um, they stick around for a very, very, very long time. Just to encourage you. Um, then I've got all those um, ambiguous sort of middle-of-the-road desires, and I've got no idea whether they actually come from Jesus or whether they come straight from the pits of hell. Uh, so, like, I want to be rich so that I can bless the poor. Yeah? Like, is that from Jesus? I think it is, right? I don't think he realizes that it's from him yet, but he's working on it. Or I want to be, like, I want to be famous, you know, so I can lead loads of people to Jesus. Yeah. Whatever it may be, right? Um, what happens then is, is all of these things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they all get convoluted in my head and my heart, and they're, they're just spiraling around, sort of out of control a lot of the time. Um, I'm feeling really nervous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, with Jesus, there's no filter. He just says, you know, I don't want to go to the cross. 
Is there another way? And what he's doing here is he's giving God his desires, even the desires that aren't actually very good ones. He just lays it all out. How, how much would our prayer lives shift if we seriously took hold of this concept? You know, what if we were to bring God into all of our desires unedited and honestly, good, bad, and indifferent? You know, um, you're walking down the road, and you see a girl or a guy who um, catches your eye for all the wrong reasons. And in the moment, your desire, uh, what you want is, if you're honest, okay, um, you can sit there looking like, what? Anyway, um, I know your story. Uh, is to imagine, like, you know, you imagine a whole host of fantasy scenarios. Most of them are sexual. Um, most of them are never actually going to happen in your real life, but they're all happening in your head. What would it look like if you brought God into that moment, into that desire? You know, God, I really want to lust after this woman right now. Or, oh God, that guy is like, he's like too gorgeous like for anyone's good. You know, maybe you're home alone and it's late and you're tired and you've had a bad day. And all you really want to do in that moment is to watch porn. What would it be like, rather than hiding from God in that moment, what would it be like if you invited God into that broken, messed up desire? Maybe you're single and you're lonely. You so badly want to get married. Maybe you're married and you really badly want to be single again. <clears throat> what would it look like if you brought God into that moment? What would it look like if you brought God into your pain and into your hurt? You invited God into your anger and you say to God, I give you my fear. God, I give you all of my anxiety. That's what we're seeing in Jesus. He tells God how he feels and then he gives God his desire and there's no filter. And at that point you just let God take it. You let, take God, you get, let God take your desires that are good and you say, yes, God, please, slowly but surely bring them to pass in my life. And then you take your desires that are bad and you ask God to let them die a good and speedy death. And all of the desires that are in the middle, the things that might be uh, things for the wrong reason or wrong things for the right reason, all of these things you let God um, breathe his breath on and reshape and change and bring to reality everything he wants to do. That's it. Jesus gives God his feelings. Jesus gives God his desires. And finally, um, Jesus give, gives God his trust. Verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. But the truth is that Jesus' deepest desire, under all these other ones, of like, get me out of here, um, his deepest desire was for God and for God's will to be done. Underneath his desire not to go to the cross, beyond his desire not to be stripped and beaten, beyond his desire not to be shamed and scorned and rejected and killed, there was a deeper desire in Jesus' heart for God and for God's will. And I believe that when we encounter Jesus and we give our lives to following him, and that we're filled with the empowering presence of the spirit of the living God, that our deepest desire is actually exactly the same. And it's sometimes important to remember that your strongest desire and your deepest desire 
are not always the same thing. Your strongest desire and your deepest desire are not always the same thing. So when you see someone who catches your eye, your strongest desire in that moment is probably not to quote swathes of scriptures, right? Your strongest desire in that moment is probably lust. But your deepest desire, the truest thing about who you are, is way beyond all of that stuff. Your deepest desire is, I want to know God. I want to be like him. I want my body and my sexuality to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to be a dwelling place for the presence of the living God, for the love of God. I don't want to leave God's presence. That's your deepest desire. You know, in the moment, it's late at night, you're tired, you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse or your whoever, and you're angry when you're hurt. Your strongest desire in that moment might be some kind of violence. Your strongest desire might be to, like, throw something. But because you love Jesus and you're filled with the Spirit of God, that means that you have a brand new heart. And so your deepest desire is actually aligned with God's will. So all of this stuff is already in you. This isn't something that you have to work up to or convince yourself of. It's in you, even if it's kind of buried under a bit of a pile of junk. It's there. You just need to offer it to God as an act of surrender, which is what Jesus is doing here. And surrender is where this whole thing comes to. Because surrender is the place where our emotions start to get healthy. Surrender is that place of trust and obedience and abandonment, and it's, okay, God, here's what I want right now. This is what I want to do. This is like, ah, I have to do this. I want to do this. Uh, okay, mm, but, okay, you have your way, whatever you want. That's the beginning of emotional maturity. That's the beginning of emotional health. When we come to that place of release and surrender and trust and obedience. And all of this morning really is basically an invitation to you to invite God into your deepest, darkest emotions and feelings and to meet with him there. You know, what if our emotions, good and bad, you know, so not only like the joy and the peace and the life and the hope, but also the anxiety and the fear and the jealousy and the insecurity and the rejection and the pain. What if all of our feelings, even the ones that are hard and negative and excruciatingly painful, what if those were places of encounter to meet with the living God? What if God is there waiting for us in the garden. Uh, most of us um, don't think or feel that way about our emotions, especially the bad ones. And so when it comes to pain and feeling negative stuff, all we want to do is we just want to run away from it. We don't want to push into it. <laughs> Why would you do that? That's crazy. We want to run as fast as we can. We want to, um, we want to numb it all. We want to uh, detach from it. We want to pretend it's not even happening rather than follow the invitation of our Heavenly Father, which is, why don't you come and sit in the garden with me and feel it all? Listen and learn and meet with the God who made you. If we run away from our pain, uh, I think we're going to miss a chance to meet with God. We'll miss 
the chance to experience the fullness of the change and the transformation and the renewal that he has for us, that actually only comes through walking through, in and through these dark places with him. Psalm 23 kind of captures it pretty well. Um, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. Ignoring our emotions is, is just turning our back on what's really going on, and it's really dysfunctional. Um, listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet with God. Emotions um, are the language of the soul, and by neglecting some of our intense emotions, we're, we're forced to ourselves, and we, we lose a wonderful opportunity to know God more. We forget that change comes about through brutal honesty and total vulnerability before the Lord. Um, it's only face to face with our deepest ruling passions through Christ Jesus going through what he went through on the cross. Taking all of that pain, taking all of that suffering, taking all of that emotion, all of that anguish, all of it. That there is hope for redeeming the very fabric of our inner world. This um, there's a call for us to meet God in the pain of some of your emotions, whatever uh, they may be. And maybe you're here this morning and um, you're thriving right now and you're loving life and you know, you've got the guy or the girl of your dreams on your arm and you've just graduated, you've got the best job ever, uh, you're grateful and glad to be alive. And Great, that's awesome, fantastic. Take all of those emotions, all of those emotions and feelings of gratitude and hope and anticipation and excitement for the future, the joy in it all. Take those um, because they're places for you to meet with God and to take all of that feeling and that emotion and turn that into worship and thanksgiving and praise. And that's awesome. So, like, do that. Uh, But maybe you're here this morning and you're in the place of deep pain. And you are right up to your neck in what feels like a battle. And it's really rough right now. And maybe you are here and you think that you're supposed to be fine um, because you know and love Jesus. And there's this disconnect with how you're feeling and how you think you're supposed to be feeling. Um, But you know really that you're just in denial. You know that you're not dealing with it. And you know that you're watching too much Netflix. Uh, So for you, these emotions, for us, these emotions, even the really, really grim ones are places for us to meet with God, even now, like in this moment, in this place. And this morning is an invitation. um, It's an invitation for you to bring what you are feeling to God. It's uh, an invitation to bring to God, your desires, good, bad, and indifferent, just to let it all come tumbling out in his presence. It's an invitation for you again just to bring God your trust, to ask him how you follow him, how you follow through, how he wants you to do obedience, what that looks like. It's really an opportunity to come and encounter the living God because I believe that God is sitting in the garden of your pain. And he is waiting there to meet with you this morning.
Okay. Thank you for listening. I think you stand.